2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com. So tonight, we're going to talk about the movie Get Out, a movie that came out last year by Jordan Peele. Very interesting movie. An hour and 44 minutes horror mystery movie. Did very well in the box office on a very modest $5 million budget. Uh, gross revenue thus far has been $254 million. And I've got uh, a Bing description and a Google description, and there's actually a significant difference between the two. So I'll read one and then the other and uh, get your feedback there, Robert. Uh, before we do, I just want to point out that I, I've read somewhere that this movie is the most profitable movie of 2017. So good on you, Jordan Peele, if that's true. And even if it isn't true, it's still, I'm still it's one of the top most profitable movies. I mean, from a $5 million investment to 200 and some odd million return with, I imagine, a somewhat modest marketing budget, that's a huge windfall. And I'm sure he'll be given creative license to create hopefully some more, you know, unique productions. I'm mean, not that this is the most unique production but it was, you know, seemed to be of his creative vision. I mean, if you're making a movie for $5 million, the studio's like, oh, uh, yeah, is it done? I mean, who cares? It's $5 million bucks. They barely even notice that there's a drop in the bucket for their overall amount of money that they usually play with. So I imagine he had a fair amount of creative freedom. Yeah, yeah, I would but agree. Anyway. And, and yeah, that is a pretty big ratio, you know, $5 million up to 255 almost. And it's not done yet. I mean, it's on HBO right now and, and probably going to be, making the rounds on the Netflix and Amazon Prime and all that aftermarket stuff as well. For sure. So let's go through some of the uh, initial ratings uh, from the, the Bing review here. It says uh, IMDb is 7.7, Rotten Tomatoes 99%, Metacritic 84. So pretty good. And the Bing description says, it's time for a young African-American to meet, his, meet with his white girlfriend's parents for a weekend in their secluded estate in the woods. But before long, the friendly and polite ambiance will give way to a nightmare. That's the whole thing right there. Pretty short. Yeah. Yeah. You guess you don't want to give anything away. You probably could have gone a little more in depth, but that's that's the long and the short of it. That's the setup. Yeah. And the, the Google one, very similar in all the other ratings. Uh, they throw in the percentage of Google users who liked it, and it's 88%. And here's the description there. It says, now that Chris, played by Daniel Kaluuya, hope I'm saying that right, and his girlfriend Rose have reached out or have reached the meet the parents milestone of dating. She invites him for a weekend getaway upstate with Missy and Dean. At first, Chris reads the family's overly accommodating behavior as nervous attempts to deal with their daughter's interracial relationship. But as the weekend progresses, a series of increasingly disturbing discoveries lead him to a truth that he never could have imagined. And yeah, that's pretty fair. Um... I mean, going into the movie knowing that it's a horror movie and that, you know, you've heard a few little limited things about it, you know something else is going on. But from the main character's perspective, yeah, things are weird and creepy, but as we understand in the film, you know, it's nothing that he hasn't experienced before. He's dealt with awkward people not knowing how to act around him before and going out of their way to show how not racist they are. Because in today's modern, like, PC, SJW culture, there's a whole lot of white guilt that gets thrown around, how 
terrible white people are and how they're just the worst people and all white people are racist. I'm sure you've seen these kind of headlines, especially if you're a white male. You're just the worst person in the world. And and how this movie kind of plays off of that, that, yeah, you'd probably expect some kind of people to be kind of apologizing for their race and not really knowing how to act around uh, a black person. And so I think that movie kind of plays off that kind of brilliantly, honestly. And I've, I've seen reviews, not to jump ahead, but I've seen people who have looked at this movie as equating all white people to be bad. And I didn't see that at all. I, I, I think you could maybe look at this a little bit through that lens, but this is such a ridiculous kind of premise. It's kind of a Stepford Wivesy kind of a premise mixed in with some horror elements and some science fiction-y type stuff and some psychology type trance, like hypnosis type stuff. And kind of puts it all in a blender and yeah if you're the main character i don't see how you see that one coming <laughs> so for me it was uh super satisfying in that regard yeah i recall when you said you had seen this movie recently that uh, it immediately jumped into your top five of the year uh, last year and yeah. i think it's oh. because of that that nuance or that uh, ability to take a situation that appears uh to in one light to be you know your standard like stereotypical uh positions on race and people being careful with how they say things or, or going out of their way to be extra accommodating and, and in a way exhibiting uh different behavior due to race to try to not be racist and therefore by being somewhat racist in the process yep yes exactly <laughs> exactly you could just play it cool and be normal but no you got to show how not racist you are but uh, let me take a step back real quick. And I know this isn't about Get Out, but I just want to just contrast and compare just a little bit. Before I saw Get Out, I was over my old man's for the holidays, and we're watching Dunkirk. And Dunkirk is this horrific, horrifically boring uh, slideshow of a movie. It's like getting invited over to people who want to show you their like vacation pictures, people you don't like, and they all look the same. And then they're standing in front of slightly different backgrounds each time just slightly different and none of it makes sense and then they're all out of order Dunkirk I didn't I don't understand the the love and the praise for Dunkirk I was beyond bored to tears there wasn't a single character that any had any kind of you knew anything about there were no lines like very minimal dialogue and you can tell a story without dialogue but in this movie where you have a bunch of faceless people that exhibit no characteristics of anything resembling a human being that you, they just wash away into this gray mass. And if I could just describe this movie in one words, it's gray. There was nothing to that movie. But then I watched Get Out. And in the first five minutes of Get Out, there's this character in like 30 seconds. You know he's a character. He's a human being. He's exhibiting like emotions and like he's, he has some kind of weird kind of quirks and you see him as an individual. And then he gets like brutally like kidnapped. <laughs> But right away, I knew that I would like this movie way better because there was somebody that I could identify with and he was in a situation that he didn't want to be in and bad things were going to happen to him. But he was unique and familiar and I cared about him right away. And then he wasn't the main character of the movie and I was bummed out. But I knew the movie was going to be great or at least way better than Dunkirk and I was so right. Get Out is so much more phenomenal. I don't understand the ratings that Dunkirk has but I do understanding the positive reviews that Get Out has. Uh, it was like night and day for me. So anyway, that's, that's Dunkirk. It's a shit show. Don't waste your time if you haven't seen it. I don't understand the love. 
All right, way to sneak uh, uh, contrasting review. But I think that's actually helpful because you were set up in a way like with a boring movie and then to see this one almost immediately after, it really stood out, it sounds like. Yeah, and maybe I was loving it because I was so bored by Dunkirk, but I don't think so. I think if I just turned on Get Out at any point in time, I would have uh, really enjoyed it. But yeah, having it being contrasted by that shit show uh, probably yeah made me a little bit more enthusiastic about it. But still, I think you enjoyed it also, right? I mean, we're talking about it here right now based off just, hey, me talking about it a little bit. Hey, I saw this movie. so Yeah, I actually got to watch this one with my wife. And uh, because I had planned on doing this as a, as a show at some point in the future, I was just watching it for funsies. And then uh, due to some scheduling changes that we've had, I moved up in our lineup and I hadn't taken any notes. So we watched it again even. And it's kind of interesting to watch it a second time because um, like I was talking about before, many of the situations that uh, sort of make sense in a going out of your way to be overly accommodating due to race get mistaken uh, on first viewing for that. But then upon a second viewing where you know what's really going on, you can see them in a totally different light, like from a new different perspective where now they make sense why the people were like feeling his arm and seeing like how sturdy he is or talking about his golf swing or uh, talking about that eye that he has. He's a photographer who has a, you know, what they call the eye where you, you're able to get like just amazing photographs that a lot of people just for whatever reason don't have that X factor. Um, so right. when you watch it a second time and uh, see those things happen, you the, the racism or racist or race component sort of falls away. Uh, but it's it's a bit of an interesting way because he played with that. Because the first time you're watching the movie, you're still discovering what's going on. Like, they do a really good job of not really letting you know what the whole story is just yet. And even the character, he's discovering it as he goes. And even at the end, and I, I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but even after he's been told what the uh, coagula is, you know, they say the whole, behold the coagula, which, I mean, spoilers all the time. It's not our job to tell you uh, what happens in the movie. Watch the movie first and then come to us for some analysis, right? <laughs> so, yes, please. This is all spoilers. Yeah, all spoilers all the time. And, and uh, um, a listener had let me know that, you know what, it's not your guys' job to really, really just relay the whole movie. Um, we're, we're coming to you for your take on it or on the, the events within it. So that makes sense to me. I, I, I think we can use that going forward to be, like we had talked about um, in the earlier part of the show, being a little bit snappier. Or a little bit punchier, or a little bit more peppy. Peppy. Fair enough. Yeah. So, uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, so the whole premise is they're luring people to uh, be auctioned off to rich people who want to have their brains implanted into other people's bodies to, like, extend their life. It's like a, a combination of uh, they're going to be in the driver's seat, the, the person paying, but they're going to be driving the body of the person that they've been uh, co- combined with in this procedure called the coagula. Uh, meanwhile, the person whose body has been taken over, and I know it sounds all far-fetched, but, you know, it's kind of the premise, uh, will still be kind of aware, but uh, as if they're a passenger and, and not really able to interact. So there's kind of latently there. Um, and as we see in the movie, when they've been drinking or they're triggered by some event, like a flash on a camera or something along those lines, then part of them, part of the, the body's original inhabitant sort of is able to sneak through a little bit. Is that about fair, Robert? Yeah, yeah, that's right. They get a brief moment of clarity where the the upper levels of the brain kind of shut down and the what's left over of the original brain, kind of like the, the motor, you know, the, the, reptilian, the reptilian brain, the level of the brain that the original body has been re, 
you know, put, put into like this little box that their, their original consciousness is just in this tiny little brain that's only allowed to do certain things. And basically, yeah, you said it's just a passenger. But then, yeah, under these certain circumstances that is set up early on or in the middle or so, whether it's like a, a camera flash or something like that, that it kind of shocks them back into coherence so they regain temporary control. Right, yeah, and Chris, the main character, he's kind of made aware of this towards the end, like they play little videos for him telling him what the process is going to be like. So at that stage, he should be aware that the people who's been interacting with who seem kind of off and, and weird, like the other black people um, who work at the property, like the groundskeeper and the maid, they're the grandmother who's been transplanted and the grandfather. I would think he should have been more aware of that in that moment when he was escaping and ran over the grandmother thinking she was the maid because he goes out and gets her and puts her back in the car and is like going to take her to the hospital or whatever. Right. And they, they set up that though with him believing, you know, he wanted to save the person left over in that body. And he thought that there was still something to be saved and to be rescued. That's why he did it. Now I was still yelling at him at the TV when I was watching it not to do it. But I think that's fun that you're so invested in the story that you care whether or not he picks up the lady or not. I wanted him to survive. I wanted him to get revenge and kill all these people and get away clean and free. And, you know, I wanted all these things because I cared. I cared about him as a character. I hated the other people in this movie, you know, because I wanted them all to die because they're horrific aggressors. But I've seen movies where, like Dunkirk, where you could have killed off every single person on the screen and I would have been like, eh. Who gives a shit? Don't know anything about these people? I mean, I only have a certain, I mean, feels are a limited resource like everything. And everybody only has a certain amount of them. And you can only care about so many things. And in order to be able to care about something, you've got to know about people and know about their struggles and see an injustice and that sort of thing. And this movie does that, that stuff perfectly. Um, and then even on top of that, I want to say that this character, this main character, is probably one of the most moral main characters, moral protagonists that I've ever seen. I, if they'd put in the exact same situation, would have gone way more hardcore against those people. I, he is like Mr. Passive Nice Guy, even to people that are trying to kill him. I would have gone way more hardcore on those people. I don't know about you, Daniel, but I thought he was like almost too nice. He showed too much restraint, really? I mean, he stomped, uh, he stomped the brother guy out after bashing him head in the bocce ball. Not enough. And then he stabbed the dad with the antlers. Not enough. And he smashes the, the psychology or psychiatrist's mom with the letter opener that she stabbed through his hand. Yep. Not enough? Not enough. Not wow. Enough. Wow. Yep. Okay. I mean, he did a great job, but I, yeah, I would have been more hardcore. All right. What those about people? Those people. Wait, hold on. Do you believe that he has any kind of, I mean, he doesn't have any kind of po positive obligation, right? To, he could just escape out of there. That's the only thing if he, the, he has to do or whatever. He doesn't have any obligation to kill these people, right? But he knows that if he just leaves these people alone, they're going to do it again and again and again. There's evidence, and he sees it, of all these dozens of black people that they've murdered, of bodies that they've sold off to millionaires and whatever. He knows that it's going to happen again. So I would absolutely make sure that every single one of those people is dead. All right. can, we can argue about the morality of that, and I would love to if you have a different point of view on that. But I would see that as doing my neighbors and everybody on the human planet as a service. <laughs> of making sure that those monstrous murderers 
are no longer out there murdering people. Right, and, and it's obvious that they are doing these things. It's not like a, a jury trial needs to be in place for him to know what the verdict was going to be, right? I mean, he was there being a victim, right? He was in the process of being a victim. He was already through phase one and two and about to go through three. Now, granted, he did have to kill uh, the brother and the dad and the mom before he could even make the escape. Uh, he did. He definitely had to kill the son. I don't know. I think he probably could have run out of there after that, though. Uh, possibly. Or at least he could have. Well, I mean, he, well, he didn't even have to kill his son, right? He just knocked him unconscious, and then he could have run out. I mean, the the father would have been like, hey, what's up? And he would have gone and investigated, and then he would have gotten, like, a weapon and chased after him. But I think he probably could have made it out of there without killing anybody. I wouldn't have, but he could have. <laughs> Mr. Nice Guy. <laughs> do you, what do you, what do you... Do you have an analysis on what, what your own personal judgment on his actions? I felt like he was totally justified in, in the things that he did and that the honeypot, the uh, girlfriend who was luring all of these uh, guys, well, she was the worst. Like, she was the most evil of them. Uh, and, and I know it's weird to, like, pick which one's most evil out of all these, but she knew what she was doing. She knew what she was getting in them, them into. And she, like, had no remorse. And she attempted to kill him. I don't know, five, six different ways by the end of it. And her final weapon was the police arriving at the scene. And she was like playing the victim, hoping that that would end up getting Chris shot, right? But it turns out it was actually his buddy from the TSA who has a light bar on his uh, vehicle. And, and the funniest line in the movie. All right. What's the funniest line? The funniest line in the movie is Chris goes and sits in the car. And then he goes, the TSA guy's like, I told you not to go in that house, man. <laughs> I loved it. I thought that was hilarious, man. I told right. you not to go in there. I told you they were a bunch of evil psycho people. What not? See, I thought gonna... there is a conversation. He calls them what twice during the movie to kind of explain what's going on, and the guy's like, "Get out of there! Get out of there!" And Chris kind of plays it off like, "Nah, you're just being paranoid. There's no way. Come on, it can't really be what it is." And of course, Chris doesn't know, or the TSA guy doesn't know exactly what's going on, but he can smell. It's not passing the sniff test. Yeah, he's kind of a conspiracy guy. I kind of liked him. He's like, yeah, they're, they're making too. you into sex slaves and shit over there. <laughs> right. But, um, yeah, about the uh, honeypot, the honeydicker girl, she um, was absolutely the most evil. She was the most cold-blooded, psychotic, psychopathic murderer. And, and then she even says things like, you were one of my favorites right before they knock him unconscious. It's like, ugh, just gross, just a psychotic predator. And then he's like choking her to death, and I'm like, yeah, dude, until her eggs bug out. I'm sorry. Sorry, not sorry. You try and murder me, I'm taking you down. Yeah, and then she gave him that smile, right, that, that real shit-eating grin. Yeah, she's, um, she's a piece of work. And then, yeah, so anyway, we're here for analysis. Um, did you buy the whole eye thing? That was the one maybe thing I kind of had a little bit of an issue with, this idea that um, the eye, his, his specific eye exists in this lower part of his brain. I mean, maybe, I guess. It's fine enough. But it, it seems like it, I would have bought it more if they were just going for the flat-out physical attributes of a younger, healthy body, you know, a younger, healthy, like, athletic body instead of some sort of artistic creativity. Um, but they did want to have that, um, the excuse to have the flash. So right, I guess right. To have him be a photographer. Yeah, and the flash, um, that moment actually was, at first I was like, it's a daytime shot. Why is he using a flash? You know, that seems a little bit weird. But then I realized, no, it's backlit, and he needs the flash to light the face with the sun backlighting him. So it, really he was doing a, a good job of being a photographer in that respect. Listen to Daniel and his pro-photographer ex explanations. I like it. 
Yeah, I used to know a thing or two. But back yeah. to the um, the eye, the the I think that was just bonus for the guy, the guy who was buying Chris, because he had been a photographer himself and he didn't have that X factor, but he was an art dealer and was aware of this guy. And he was blind. He had lost his sight to a degenerative condition. So in his mind, he's not only going to gain the ability to see at all, but potentially the X factor, the, uh, the ability to get an amazing shot that he didn't have previously. And that might be, you know, down in that lower part of the brain that's still going to be present after this coagula procedure. Yeah, I mean, if I'm the, the guy from Office Space and I want to be able to see, it just wants a stapler, right? I mean, that's the act that we're talking about here. Um, yeah, you would want a new, healthy, fresh, young body. And then, it, yeah, it would be a bonus if he was also a really good photographer, just in case that that carries over and helps me out in my our own artistic endeavors. That would be great. So, yeah, I can see that. So maybe it's not perfect, but it is a selling point for the auction, which ends up being like $10 million or something. Um, on, a word on the acting. I mean, if this is, this is $5 million to meet the entire movie, and these actors are probably getting paid in like the tens of thousands of dollars range instead of, you know, the millions of dollars range. I want to say what a fantastic job everybody in the movie did, um, especially Honeypot. She was utterly convincing to me as the in-love girlfriend who has this kind of embarrassing family and she was just utterly charming and whatnot. And then she turned into this evil, psycho, cold-hearted, shark-eyed creature at, you know, this one specific climax point of the movie. And she, I thought I just found her performance was fantastic. I went from liking her to absolutely hating her. And that's, that's what you want out of a villain or out of any kind of character. You want to feel something for these people. So love them or hate them. I mean, they're either going to be faces or heels. And she went from face to heel in an instant. And yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, I like, uh, th- it was a little bit weird how he sort of discovered that box of pictures of her with all those other guys when she had said to him that he was her first, like, interracial relationship, first black boyfriend. Because yeah. why was that door open? Why was that box there? Does that make sense? Yeah, that is a bit suspicious, for sure. And then at some point, like, all the pictures get put up on the wall, which is also weird, but I guess she took the time to put them up after, you know, the, the ruse was over. Oh, oh, in her uh, bedroom when she was watching, like, Dirty Dancing? Was she, was she was watching? She was watching something while she was browsing the Internet for um, single, young, black athlete male type people. Right, and eating like, eating, like ice cream and, or something. Yeah, ice cream and Skittles or something. Uh, something weird. But what I suspected was that when Chris and her were staying, it was a different room. It was like the guest room. And then she had separate in this house. It's a very large house. She had her own like legitimate, this is where she lives room. And it has her, her trophy wall of all the guys that she had mm-hmm. lured in. I, I was not watching closely enough to determine if that was true or not. That could be the case. That she yeah, would have a, her own actual room. Very well could be. Yeah, I think the bed was different. It was like a, a more of a, almost a sterile room, like a white bed, white walls with the, you know, she's wearing this white track suit. I think that's to give her the Patrick Bateman kind of look to her for that final scene. Patrick Bateman? What's that reference to? Uh, American Psycho. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, she's definitely a psychopath. Definitely feels nothing for these people. And that's, and that's you know, the biggest betrayal, right? I mean, she's got him for like, what, three months or something, six months, whatever it is the relationship is, where someone pretends to care about you for that long and then you find out that they don't. And I think that most people can identify with that to have been in relationships before where even if they did, it kind of feels like they didn't. So yeah, you can identify with that and it just makes you want to, <laughs> makes you want to choke her. <laughs> Is Wayne Brady going to have to choke a bitch? <laughs> 
Oh, it's a Chappelle Show reference, so it's okay I could say that? Uh, That's right. It's okay, Daniel. I authorize you to be able to do that. Thank you. So what did you think of him leaving her there cold and alone on the street to die when he and TSA guy leave? Because they said that's how Chris's mom had died when he was 11, and so it's like a little callback. Yeah, that is. It's a strong callback for sure. I would have made sure she was dead, but I like that that was the way that it ended for sure as a way to... You know, you're going to die cold and alone on the street. I thought that was good. Um, what did you think about the first hypnosis scene where he's out going out for a smoke, comes back in, and this lady starts, you know, giving him the, the business, the, the psychology business, and he just kind of sits there. Wouldn't you at that point, like, no thanks, get up and walk out? Yeah. I thought he was, I, being, I thought he was being a little overly accommodating. Sure, but I can see how that would have happened. You know, someone's very insistent and you're like, oh, you know, whatever, you know, sort right, of talked into this. Right, because he did, she did sell it for helping him stop smoking and it did work supposedly, right? Right, and, and if you noticed, I didn't notice this the first time watching, but the second time, that she actually starts with the tapping of the glass uh, a, a few scenes prior when they're outside sitting around the, the table and they're eating or having lemonade or whatever and she starts asking about his parents and his mom dying. So that was her priming that uh, that signal with that emotional situation so that she could then later play into that and, and of course, use that to uh, sink him into the floor, into the, the sunken place. Right. Now, let's talk a little bit meta here. Um, there has been complaints made that this is indicative of all white people and this is an anti-white film. Did you get that sense? Because I really didn't. Uh, the idea that this movie is saying that all white people are psychopathic predators, because that's what these people are. This is, I mean, you can also argue this is some form of sick, disgusting capitalism, right? Like this is um, taking a black person like a slave trade type thing, right? Where you're not treating other people as human beings having property rights, and this is all property right violation stuff. Right, there. hence not, not capitalism. Hence not capitalism, right? But that's what people think of capitalism as. So you got these people, these, these black bodies up for auction, up to the highest bidder, because that's what white people did. I mean, it, I guess this is some sort of an allegory to slavery, but I saw it more as very specific, this is a bunch of psychos, and this is, just happens to be, and I thought it was a more of a clever play on the whole racism, not racism thing. Yeah, I felt like that whole racial difference in how you're treating people uh, was good cover to kind of mask not only to Chris, but also to the audience watching why these strange things were happening. You know, you can right. kind of view it from one way and go, oh, yeah, that's sort of a they're doing that because it's sort of racist or whatever. Uh, but like I said, later on, it's revealed that, no, they're doing those things because they want to check out this person that they're going to for forcibly... <laughs> remove part of their brain so they can take over their body. Um, but yeah, I can see how right, the they're, they're evaluating the livestock. Yes. Right. Right. And I can see the, the, how that's similar to slavery, you know, but also how someone could view this as a critique of capitalism because they're exchanging money and they're rich people and it, they're bad. Uh, but right. like, like we just said, you know, once you violate property rights, uh, you violate someone else's self ownership and you make an, in, an involuntary situation, no matter that money's, being exchanged among other parties, it's not capitalism. Correct. People like to say that that's what capitalism is, but that's not. Capitalism is voluntary exchange, and there's clearly someone in part of this exchange that is not voluntary. Chris and all the black people that were murdered or have their brains removed clearly did not want to be a part of this. And I thought it was further insulting, the whole um, little promotional video that they had him watch, as if that, yeah, we're doing this, and this is going to be great, and you know, you don't matter and what you want doesn't matter, but 
we're doing this because this is going to be awesome sauce and we're like part of this new future society or something like that. I mean, it seems like really weird thing, an insulting thing to do to someone you're about to murder. Yeah, it was like, uh, um, behold the coagula, you know, and they're trying to get their mind prepped a little bit to be more, I don't know, accepting of it. Maybe having an awareness of what's going on is, is somehow helpful in the procedure that they say has now only recently been perfected. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, did it's you... a universe they're oh, building. So, you know, it's kind of like, it's up to the storyteller, right? Yeah. And let me just say a few words and I want to get your take on the main character and his passivity. Um, I would have rankled and fought and screamed and insulted and denigrated my captors. But he takes it almost as if he expected it or, yeah, this is just what white people do, or I'm not going to like sit there and yell and waste my breath on these people. I wasn't sure exactly how he was playing because he didn't have any dialogue. He was very much just a passive, he didn't make any kind of political statements. He just kind of did it. Um, and I'm not sure if that was, I thought it was kind of brilliant in a way that you you kind of let anybody kind of be into that um, first-person perspective, that this is happening to anybody. But at the same time, I mean, it would just be different from the way I would have written it. I would have written it, you know, very much like my main character is <laughs> totally offended by this whole, the whole idea. You know, the, the idea that you could think you're doing a good thing by violating someone else's rights, by violating my light right to exist. You think you're doing a good thing? You know, I would just go off in some sort of monologue tirade against these captors, trying to make them feel bad about what they're doing. I mean, clearly it would have been wasted on these psychopaths, but these people were, you know, learned intellectuals who saw themselves as having some sort of noble higher goal. And I would have tried to explain how that's just what psychopaths tell themselves to ex post facto justify their horrific actions. But, you know, I would have written it differently. It's fine. But I wondered what your ideas were, or if you had any thoughts on the, um, the almost silent protagonist, especially towards the end. Yeah, you bring up a good point because he didn't really say anything to them. And we're used to movies where there's dialogue between people at the resolution and, and it's like the bad guy saying, oh, you know, here I am monologuing while the, the hero is able to escape the laser that's going to cut him in half or whatever. So right. I, I did like that, that there was really nothing left to be said, right? Like he knew that he had to get out of there and he knew that he was not going to convince these people of anything different. They had already tried murdering him and they're, they're continuing to attempt to murder him. So there's really no point in having a conversation at this point, right? Though it might right. feel I, good. Yes. That's, that's what I want. I would want the catharsis for my own benefit because I know I'm not going to get rid. I'm not going to get through to these psychopaths. They've already been doing this for years. They're totally okay with what they're doing. They've thought it through. They don't give a shit. But for me to be able to spit some venom at these pieces of human garbage would have been really feel good moment for me as a main character. But like you said, there's almost no point in doing that, and your your energy is better spent on figuring out a way to escape and getting out of there. So. I would have wanted to have it be a teachable moment, especially maybe with that um, the blind eyeball guy, maybe. He seemed to be a bit more of a reasonable person. But again, anybody who's willing to pay money to steal somebody else's body is not necessarily a reasonable person. Yeah, and then you can also imagine that someone who's being put through this trauma uh, would be rather traumatized and maybe be in a state of shock. And so they're just in the instinctual survival mode at this point. You know, you're not really thinking yeah. like intellectually. Uh, you're thinking, get the fuck out. Right. An, an allusion right. to the title, right? Right. Just get out. Just just get out. Don't don't waste time monologuing. Don't try and convince them of anything. Just just save yourself. 
And that's uh, fair enough. I, I, I like the way – I thought it was an interesting choice, if nothing else. Because, yeah, like you said, we usually are used to movies where the hero gets to do a little bit of monologuing and have uh, some teaching moments to the bad guy. And, like, this is why you lose and that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, this is more of an interesting acceptance of the situation and just no more words need to be said. We all know the, we all know the score. We all know what's going on here. And let's just see how this turns out. So it was, uh, yeah, an interesting choice. And um, well, here we are talking about it, and I, I loved it. I would have probably, my version might have been not as good. <laughs> it just would have been more cathartic for me. But I think I love these kind of, uh, it's almost like a revenge story, right? I mean, there's almost like a revenge thriller aspect to this movie. I know it's classified as horror, but I don't think it's quite that. I think this is a main character who's been horrifically aggressed upon and even though he doesn't really seek out any kind of revenge, he actually, you know, kills these people to escape. But, um, yeah, it's almost not... I think I think the horror, you know, label doesn't tell the whole story of this movie, that's for sure. Yeah, I would agree. It doesn't really feel like a horror to me, though it is horrific. It's more of a... Right. I don't know, you're, you're almost in that first-person perspective as an audience member. You're sort of learning as the uh, protagonist is learning as well, and you're kind of kept in the dark, and, and there's this ambiguity to the situations like we talked about before, which I think was expertly done uh, in regards to movie-making craft. And I kind of want to slide this into, uh, we have some categories we're sort of developing for how we're going to categorize or uh, talk about movies, like certain aspects, and uh, we've already been going for almost an hour um, so I'm going to start diving into a few of those before we do our overall rating and review system. And so we've already talked a bit about um, the morality of the situations and, and clearly uh, very immoral, uh, involuntary. It, even though there's money involved, it's not related to capitalism or free market in any way. <laughs> um, the claims it seems to be making, let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, it, it does seem as if on both sides of, of the cultures that are being represented that they're playing into for the sake of the movie, the tropes of, um, you know, the TSA guy and Chris are having conversations about, Oh, white people are crazy. They're going to make you a sex slave. Um, meanwhile, the, the white family is going out of their way to be, you know, extra nice, extra accommodating. Oh, I would have voted for Obama a third time kind of stuff. Uh, do you think that they're successful in, in making these claims or not, Robert? Well, your, your question again is, 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 are they, is this an accurate portrayal? Is that what you're trying to say? Like this is, um, some sort of play on the, the, the culture? Is that what you're... I'm, I'm, not, I'm not clear on what your question is. Yeah, like it seems as if even Chris and the TSA guy were like identifying with their racial group, like their culture, and contrasting that with all those crazy white people over there in that house in the suburbs. But they were using that to the advantage of, of you know, making the movie. Um, so I guess I'm not really sure exactly well, what I'm asking you here, but... Well, okay, how about this question? Um, and Chris is... You could argue that his friend, the TSA guy. First of all, the TSA is a horrific organization, shouldn't exist, and it's kind of played off in a funny way that oh, this guy's like super competent and he knows what's going on, and he goes to some cops and they don't believe him and blah, 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 but you know, he's like, get shit done and he's in the TSA. It's all played out in a very tongue-in-cheek kind of way, and I appreciated it, even though I hate the TSA. Um, he is, you would ar I could argue that the TSA guy is making racial claims that these white people, these crazy white people are going to turn him into a sex slave and do all these things. But Chris is kind of telling him what's going on, that these people are acting weird and doing these kind of strange things. Where Chris is like, no, they're not dangerous. The TSA guy's like, yeah, they're dangerous. Um, I would argue mostly do because of what Chris tells him. Like, these are strange things going on. Don't overthink it. Just get out of there. Whereas Chris is like, nah, I'm going to see where this goes. I'm not super worried about it. They seem like nice people. But the TSA is like, no, my inbred... So you could almost argue that 
the TSA guy is racist against white people, and he ends up being right. Therefore, racism is a useful tool to use. You could almost see that claim being made, but I still think there's enough nuance that that claim isn't exactly, or at least overtly made. Um, I think it's more based on the evidence and the situation. Um, so I don't think Jordan Peele's making a super overt commentary on you know race or that sort of thing. I think he's more playing up you know, something that he's ex- you know, experienced in his life. He's a smart comedian guy. I don't know if his wife is white or whatever, but I'm sure he's met all kinds of white people who go out of their way to show how they're not racist and, you know, act weird and awkward doing it. Um, I've, you know, full disclosure here, I've made a few awkward, dumb comments to black people, and I don't know where they came from. That is spewed out of my mouth, and I'm like, why did I say that? That was so dumb. Why did I – was I just trying to show how not racist I am? Ugh. Looking back, I just recoil in horror. I'm not going to tell you what statements I made. Sorry. It's not going to happen. Maybe in the Kathleen Turner Overdrive if we – have some bonus content for some people. But. Maybe, yeah, I'll put that behind a paywall, but it's particularly embarrassing. But I think we've all been there, and I think, you know, if that's what you're trying to tell a story, you want to connect with your audience. And I think a lot of people can connect with this story because they've all lived it. And I don't need, it doesn't need to be some greater, you know, political statement. I think you can just say, hey, this is a piece of life that everybody can identify with. And it shows in the box office results, and it shows in the critic scores. The audiences love this movie, and I'm one of its fans, and I hope this guy makes more movies. Uh, he also made um, a comedy about a cat. I forget what it was called, but it was not good. But I think that was more uh, the influence of his partner, um, Key Key and Peele. I think they made more of like a Key and Peele kind of a sketch movie. And this is more of just a Jordan Peele, hey, this is my own story kind of a thing. And I'm off on my own, not making a, trying to make a comedy. So I think, yeah, anyway, um, that's a long, windy answer to, I'm not sure if that was a question you asked. <laughs> no, it was, a, it was a good answer for what was probably a very ambi- ambiguous uh, question. I wasn't even sure what I was really asking, but it brings up a, a point, and that is, um, why are these things awkward? Like, is it a result of uh, people, like, really going out of the way on their own, or have we been exposed culturally so, through media and television and, and whatnot to where the situations are now weird because of how we've been exposed to these things like is there's an expectation of them being weird and so now people do act weird as a result i think you're right i think we're just normal human beings interacting normally and then you get it all these ideas into your head about culture and how things and how you should act and how you shouldn't act and what's racist and what's not racist and you just forget to be a human being in the moment and yeah all of a sudden you start making things awkward and you get things jumbled in your head and oh is that racist is that not racist and you start second guessing yourself and then it's all the shit show downhill yeah, just so it's be a like human is, being in the moment as best you can. Yeah, so is that type of thing reflected in movies, like an actual thing that's happening? Is it reflected, or is it the cause of these things to be then uh, in? You know, it's a chicken egg thing, right? Yeah, probably. I'm sure it's uh, you know culture feeds on itself. So yeah, it's it's reflected in life, and then life gets reflected back in the movies, and then the movies influence life again. So. I think it's a brilliant movie. Uh, it's not completely unique, like I said, uh, Step of Wives and that sort of thing and Invasion of the Body Snatchers and that sort of thing. And these, these ideas are out there. But the way the story was told, I thought, was quite unique and very brilliant. And um, I lo- really look forward to the next movie that this guy does. And hopefully he can retain creative control because, yeah, fantastic. I don't, I, don't, I don't think there needs to be a sequel to this. I think there, he just needs to go on with whatever next project he's got going and do that. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. And, and I think you kind of covered some of the categories we're considering. And that's, you know, the value, was it worth the time and effort you expended in watching it? And it sounds like definitely for you. And, and I would agree for me. 
Uh, I even watched it again. Uh, and shareability-wise, yeah, I'd recommend almost anyone see this movie. It's uh, really well done. And to your point, um, it, it's, it's bookended. You don't need to make any more of this uh, particular movie, but you can use these kind of ideas and concepts of um, the craft of making a story uh, in, in other areas yeah. and, and continue to make more movies. I mean, it's, it's really good. It almost has that uh, usual suspects turn or seven turn or not quite memento because that works backwards, but you're, things are being revealed as you're going along and you're, you're piecing together what's happening and it's, it's not quite clear. And I, I love that, you know? Yeah, absolutely agree. Uh, and and you're, you're really all on board with the, yeah, the protagonist and you learn as he learns and you kind of understand how he feels about things. And yeah, I was on board with most of his decisions. Um, I want to say that that first actor that gets kidnapped in the beginning, um, I, I thought he had a little more personality, but I, from the, um, the writing standpoint, like Jordan's writing, if you want to make a character more of a blank slate that anybody can kind of put themselves into and put themselves in that situation, you know, as an audience member, I, I can see how that really worked. Um, I want to say that, yeah, even though the main character didn't seem to have as much personality as the other characters in the movie, I think it still worked really strong, really well. And I don't know if that was due to the writing specifically or the acting specifically, probably both. Or maybe it was intentional. Maybe play this a little more, you know, cool and whatnot. But it was still great. I still thought he did a great job acting. Everybody did. I don't, I don't know if there was a single standout that, like, stuck out like a sore thumb, like, this is not good. I don't remember a single part of that movie, which just goes to show you, I mean, if you've got a talented guy that knows what he's doing and makes the movie he wants to make and he's uh, on board with everything and it just turns out to be this crisp, cohesive, well-made movie. Like you said, the craft was really strong with this one. Yeah, and another note on the acting, um, there were many moments and scenes within the film where there wasn't a whole lot of dialogue and a lot of the story had to be emoted. You know, like the yeah. awkwardness with the people who've had the transplants happen to them had to come through in very minute ways. And, and I thought that that was just amazingly well done. Yeah, and the, um, when he was interacting with the, the grandmother and the grandfather, and you're just like, what is going on here? These are, there's some weirdness going on, but you're not sure what it is yet. But then, yeah, after you watch it and you find out what it is, then you're like, oh, okay, that, well, that, yeah, that makes more sense now. <laughs> but, yeah, just excellent acting all the way around. Yeah, and, yeah. Like I said, yeah. All right, so before we get to an overall score, uh, I want to touch on one wild card thing that I have, and, and right. I'll open up the floor for you if, if you have one. But um, there were a moment or two within the movie that didn't make a lot of sense even once you know what's going on, like even in watching it a second time. And, and one of them is when Chris comes back in the house and they're having the party – and everyone's talking, and then he goes upstairs, and everyone stops talking. Yeah, that, and when that, that happened... For no was, reason. Yeah, looking back on it, that was really weird for no reason. But in the moment when I was watching it, I was like, ooh, that really got my attention. Now, you're right, because I didn't even think of this. This did not occur to me at all. Excellent catch on your part, sir. Um, in the greater sense of it, yeah, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Unless they're all trying to like train their ear to find out what he's trying to say or something, but you wouldn't be able to hear what he's trying to say upstairs like that. Yeah, it didn't make any sense, but when it did happen on first viewing, I was like, ooh, what is this? Everybody's acting really weird. There's definitely something going on here. But yeah, it okay. doesn't make any sense. <laughs> You're right. You're right. It doesn't make any sense other than to catch my attention as an audience member. So I don't know exactly what that scene is supposed to signify. Okay. And there were uh, another one, which was after the grandmother made, uh, unplugs his phone and then comes in and apologizes 
for doing it and saying, oh, I did because I was cleaning. I didn't want to mess with it further. Uh, then she says, I assure you, I don't answer to anyone. And after you know that she's the grandmother, well, yeah, of course she doesn't answer any, to anyone. But it's weird when you don't know that, right? And then when she um, exits that room and that conversation, she does it like speedwalk style. Like it's weird, you know, it's another moment like when the grandfather guy is running at him at night and then veers off. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, that was a, a way to kind of heighten the scare factor or the something's not quite right here so that kind of ties into him going up the stairs and the whole party just going silent uh even though yeah, that, I, that I, one I liken, doesn't make sense I like, later right i liken these things that we're talking about right now to flourishes like jordan peele knows he's making this kind of tense thriller horror type movie and he wants to put some scenes in that are unsettling to tell the audience what kind of a movie they're watching so that when you know, the big turn happens and you find out what's really going on. Everybody's not like, well, that came out of left field. That was strange. Because it could have just been all explained as white people don't know how to act around black people, except for, you know, a lot of these weirder type interactions and flourishes and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, taking if you really analyze each one of those scenes in a realistic context, I, I think you're right that they don't quite hold up. But as a flourish to tell the audience exactly what they're in for, or to at least clue them in that something is amiss. I think they work really well. All right. Well done. Well done, sir. Uh, any other wild cards from you before we come up with an overall score of sorts? Uh, nothing. Just I just want to say I'm a fanboy. <laughs> I'm a total fanboy of this guy. Uh, sorry if I'm not being super critical of this movie. It was, it's one of my top movies of the year easily. I said top five of the movies I watched, and I think that would hold up no matter what I watched. Uh, and I, there were a bunch of movies I missed this year, but just uh, – Bravo, sir. I want you to make movies for a long time, and I'm going to try and catch as many of them as possible, especially if they're like creative visions like this one is. So let's move on to uh, the, whatever's next. Yeah, next we have uh, overall score, and I think we're still developing this, but uh, we're going to be assigning some categories and some ratings to individual categories in upcoming shows. But for this one, I think we should just do like a uh, X out of 10 as an overall score. And uh, the system we're working on is going to be a beyond box office sales total entertainment rating. So it's going to have a very scientific name to it. And we might even throw the word true at the beginning uh, uh, because then it's, it's sort of like uh, wins above replacement value. You know, when you're talking into advanced metrics in sports and people seem to love that stuff. So if we can make it super like nerdy, uh, I think we can get a little, uh, sure. <laughs> Because uh, the box office does tell you a lot, right? I mean, if it's profitable, they're going to come back to this well, right? They're going to bring this same director. They're going to do these types of stories. Uh, we saw this with Die Hard. You know, as soon as that was super successful financially, all of a sudden you get Die Hard on a train and Die Hard on a boat and Die Hard on a plane. Um, you know, all these mimics and copycat type things, and it creates its own genre. And so the profit and loss is, is a very good indicator of if they did a good job, you know, they satisfied audiences and if it's going to spawn additional things. Um, but we want to look beyond that on this show. So uh, we're going to be developing that system. But for right now, uh, let's stick to just an overall out of 10. And we can do like one decimal point deep. How, how's that sound? Sure. Sounds good. Now, one thing I did want to say is um, this movie was supremely successful and it's probably going to inspire some sort of copycat situation. I kind of worry about that because I think that this movie was handled quite deftly and in, in clunkier hands, it could have ended very badly. That the idea of a revenge kind of a thriller movie is always going to have Robert on board, at least in the get-go. Like, I like the idea, that concept, because I like justice. I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of, of justice being done. 
Um, but in clunkier hands, I worry that this could be, you know, a thing that ends very bad, much like the Die Hard series, like you mentioned. Um, it inspires lots of imitators, and, you know, they're usually all way worse than the original. And this is a hard movie to top. Um, not to say that I don't want to, you know, have people innovate and create new things and whatnot, but just don't just make, like, Get Out 2 and have it be worse and, like, straight to video and, you know, you know that kind of shit show. I, I, I'm not interested in seeing that. I wouldn't be on board with that, but I am interested in um, the genre as a whole and then, you know, Jordan's uh, work. But for my final score, I'm just going to say something like a 9.4. Big ups, super props, highly recommended. Check it out if you haven't. And if you haven't, why are you, why are you listening to this? <laughs> we just spoiled everything for you. Yeah, yeah. I think we're going to have to be doing a, a very clear spoiler alerts just with our whole concept, right? Like our point, and we talked about this earlier in the show, is not to tell you the movie. We want you to see the movie first and then get some analysis from two guys who like watching movies and talking about them. And that's us. So That's right. Uh, so 9.4, that's, that's pretty heady uh, as far as our very new rating system that's out of 10, I believe. Um, Yep. And because it's sort of arbitrary and somewhat meaningless at the moment, uh, and I do envision more of a scientific uh, building of uh, the overall score as a um, formula based on the categories and individual ratings for the categories. But I'm going to go with an 8.8. Strong. And it's, it's, it's good. It's highly recommended, very shareable, a very good movie. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it, enough to watch it twice. And also the pacing was quite good. It's not one of those movies that you watch it for the two hours or whatever, and you're like, wow, this is just dragging on and on. It's more one of those movies that's like, we do this scene and this scene and this scene, and it's already over. Wow, that was weird. You know, it's quick. Uh, so I, I really enjoy a movie that, that has that good pacing and that good storytelling ability and narrative. So high, high praise for me as well. 8.8, uh, 88 miles an hour. Back to the future good. I dig it. Strong, strong. Two positive, super positive reviews. All right. Well, uh, this has been our, uh, our show on Get Out. You can find the show notes at actualanarchy.com slash 58. And you can also find out ways to support us uh, via various affiliate programs or other services at actualanarchy.com slash tip jar. I do appreciate you joining us, and I hope that you enjoy some of the changes that we've been trying to implement. I think we snuck a few of them in uh, in this one, and we're going to be developing it a little bit further as we uh, seek to tighten up the content and make it more meat and less time uh, invested on your part and ours. Uh, so I say good good day to you, sirs. Thank you for joining us. And uh, Robert, feel free to say what you will. And then perhaps we can do some Kathleen Turner overdrive after our musical interlude. Yeah, so this has been our first attempt at bringing more brew, less head. And uh, I think we're somewhat successful. I know I rambled on a bit. We'll try and tighten things up with, you know, specific categories and whatnot. And um, basically give, we are even throwing on the idea of uh, having a timer on, you know, like get your idea out about this specific thing in the next, you know, 90 seconds or something like that. We might try that. But uh, I think this movie, this first uh, show was successful. And uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. So take care, everybody. All right. Good night, everyone.